Welcome to the Root Yoga Studio in beautiful downtown El Paso. What are your names? Sion. Sion? Sion. Sion? Jessica. Jessica? Mm -hmm. I'm Jeevananda. Why don't we go around the room and everybody say their name? They introduce you. Do you know all these folks? Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, Rob, Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is good. I'm glad you that you came. How'd you hear about us from Rob? Um, a picture on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from Anthony. Oh yeah, Anthony. Anthony's he's super. Uh, he's going to be back in town. He's in California right now, but he'll be back soon. I've got books for you. Free books. I'm going to have this up. Yeah. And uh, today we're going to talk about Krishna. Who is this Krishna? And why should we talk about it? Do you know, any, do you know very much about uh, Hare Krishna, have you ever heard about Just us before? how Krishna looks. Yeah. I think I got a book exactly like that, about uh, somewhere around 2004. Yeah? Yeah, but uh, I think it was a little bit smaller, I'm not sure. Yeah, they yeah. saw a small paperback version. Yeah, it was a little bit smaller. I'm not sure who I got from, but there was someone there, and, 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 I, and, and I asked him well, about what's this book, you know? Because I was always interested in reading books, and then he's like, "Well, for a donation, you can uh, you can get this book." I was like, "Oh, okay." And at first, I, 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 I as I was reading it, I didn't understand. I didn't I didn't understand it, but and now I'm not sure where where I, where the book is at because maybe I must have thrown it, thrown it away by accident. You know, sometimes it takes a little. You know, you have to read it. Bhagavad Gita is not a, uh, a normal book. It's a spiritual... Well, people want to say, well, there are lots of spiritual books. But this is actually... a um, It's completely not material in that it's, it's having a conversation with Krishna. And Krishna gives you the understanding that you can take at the particular time. Now, some people think, well, that's just silly. You know, you read a book, you read a book. But the fact is, as you read Bhagavad Gita, as you're ready to receive knowledge, Krishna gives you knowledge. You know, He gives you the truth, but He doesn't give it to you all the time, all at once, because you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you <know> this. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, we've been having this um, conversation, it's a series here, uh, called the, the Perfection of Yoga. And we're going to talk in Bhagavad Gita, second chapter, seventh verse. Oh, here it is. Now this is, uh, for, if you don't know much about Bhagavad Gita, this is a, uh, it's a conversation between uh, two people. One of them is a great warrior at this time. This took place a little over 5,000 years ago. Now, this warrior, his name was Arjuna. And Arjuna was the... Uh, the greatest, most powerful warrior on the planet. He was also a very righteous person. 
decent uh, man. Uh, he's about to go into the biggest battle uh, of history. It's, it's gigantic. And the, the earth was moving into an age called Kali Yuga, meaning the age of darkness, the age of quarrel, hypocrisy, the Iron Age, where people are abandoning spiritual life and taking up uh, making machines and trying to get uh, their life better through technology, uh, chemical fertilizers, pesticide, like that, you know. Uh, so, Lord Krishna, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he wanted, for our benefit, he wanted this Kali Yuga age to get off to a more positive spin. So the demons were about to uh, conquer the planet, the demoniac forces were going to uh, be totally in control of the whole planet. So Krishna decided, well, I don't really want that. I, wa I don't want Kali Yuga to start out with the demons in control. I want Kali Yuga to start out with the, the righteous devotees in control. So he, he descended uh, to protect the devotees and annihilate the demons. So uh, he and Arjuna grew up uh, together. When Krishna descends, uh, let, me, let me point out for those who, of you who are kind of new to this, when Krishna comes, he doesn't just uh, come as God. There's no fun in that for him, you see. Because if, if, you know, if Krishna came, what would everybody do? What would, what, would, what would everybody do if God just came? Panic, you know? Everybody would say, Oh my, oh my dear Lord! I, you know, I was they'll always be, your, I was always be, on your side. You know, they'll be, they'll be heading for the hills. Uh. Some people would try to hide. Some people would try to butter him up. And say, I've always been your friend. I've always thought about you know. Like, yeah, you've been you know, one man. I never doubted that you existed. <laughs> Trust me. You see. And then he's all like, mm-hmm, right. So he'd be getting all this awe and reverence and and phony love and whatever, and he doesn't like that. You see. So, uh, you know, you heard this song, there was a song a few years ago called, uh, it was, I don't know the name of it, but I don't know who sang it, but I heard it when I was in the store one time. You know how they play music in the stores? I heard this song, what if God was one of us? John Osborne? Yeah. So when Krishna comes, he appears like one of us, you see, because that way he can mingle. And... Uh, and people, because he's God, they find out, they figure it out after a while because he's just incredible, you know. So, uh, but as they find out, he, he tricks them. He, he blows his yoga maya in their face and they become confused and they forget that they've learned that he was God. So Arjuna, this great warrior, grew up with Krishna. They were childhood friends. They spent the night at each other's houses slept in the same bed, wrestled, played sports, they did all kinds of things together. And Arjuna never had a clue that his best friend was the Supreme God. And so, in the midst of this battle, as Arjuna is about to go into this battle, Krishna is going to be his, his chariot driver. And uh, they, uh, Arjuna becomes bewildered because he doesn't want to fight this war. So, uh, this conversation comes up, there's 700 verses in the Bhagavad Gita, and they answer every question that we've always had. You know? uh, as soon as Arjuna found out who his friend was, and Krishna didn't let him be, get confused, Krishna let him hang on to that thought that he's God, then he did what all of us would do. He asked 
the most important questions. Oh, you're God? Oh, gee whiz, and you're my friend, so I can ask you anything. Hey, what's the meaning of life? <laughs> Why are we here? What's this world all about? What happens? Is there life after death? You know? What are our choices when we die? How do we know where we're going to go? I mean, just it, was, it just flows, you know, millions of perfect questions. And Krishna being God, he answers perfect answers. So our, the Bhagavad Gita tells us everything we've always wanted to know. Now some people say, well, it could be just another book. I don't know if I should have my faith in it. Huh? That's your free will. You can believe it or not. But once you hear it, uh, once you hear the philosophy, you can never forget it. You see? Because it's true. And when people hear it, they know it's true. There's no doubt. Isn't it? It's like that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know? Some people may say, well, I don't know if I want to believe it, but I can't disprove what you've just said. So, anyway, Arjuna, as he's about to start this battle, he becomes very perplexed at making this decision whether or not to fight and to, to go kill so many people. He becomes weak. And uh, so he doesn't want to fight, and he talks to Krishna, and he's trying to figure out a way to get out of it. So as he talks to Krishna, after a while, Arjuna comes to uh, one of those points in life, it's a pivot point, where an intelligent man, an intelligent person, realizes, I can't do this on my own. I can't figure this out by myself. Now, less intelligent people with puffed up false egos think, I can do this. You know, they may think, I, I'll figure this out. But an intelligent person, you know, it's just like if your car breaks down and you're working on it and you start, you suddenly realize, there's no way I can do this, you know. I need to call in an expert, you see. So, uh, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Glad to see you. <clears throat> Welcome. I can turn, you want to sit up here? I can turn this side so you can yeah. be in the back. Okay. Yeah. You can get closer. I'm on arm. <laughs> What's your name? Christina. 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 That's almost like Krishna. Practically, yeah. Very nice name. Okay. So Arjuna looks at Krishna and he's bewildered. And he can't figure this out. And he thinks, you know, I need to ask your advice. So he says uh, in Sanskrit, Karpanya dosho pahataswa bhavaha prechami tvam dharma samudha chetaha yachtreya shandhis chitan bhuitan me sisyasteham shadi mam tvam prapanam. The English translation is Arjuna says, Now I am confused about my duty and have lost all composure because of my miserly weakness. In this condition, I am asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. Now I am your disciple and a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. You see, uh, my guru, Shiva Prabhupada, writes, <clears throat> By nature's own way, the complete system of material activities is a source of perplexity for everyone. In every step there is perplexity, and therefore it behooves one to approach a bona fide spiritual master who can give one proper guidance for executing the purpose of life. All Vedic liter literature's advice is to approach a bona fide spiritual master to get free from the perplexities of life, which happen without our desire. 
They're like forest fires that sometimes blaze without being set by anyone. It's just like in India in the dry season in some parts when it hasn't rained for seven, eight months or a lot like here. You may have um, bamboo, stands of bamboo and the wind is blowing and it's very dry and they're rubbing against one another. And from this friction there comes fire. So nobody wants fire. Nobody set the fire, but fire comes. So these perplexities of life, things that bother us, we don't want them, but they come. You know, uh, stuff happens. I was going to say the other word, but I'd rather not. Chit. Stuff happens. Chit. 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 Chit means eternal in Sanskrit. <laughs> Eternality happens. That does happen. <laughs> Similarly, the world situation is such that perplexities of life automatically appear without wanting such confusion. No one wants fire, yet it takes place, and we become perplexed. The Vedic wisdom therefore advises that in order to solve the perplexities of life and to understand the science of the solution, one must approach a bona fide master who is in the disciplic succession. A person with a bona fide spiritual master is supposed to know everything. One should not therefore remain in material perplexities, but should approach a bona fide spiritual master. This is the purport of this verse. So I'm going to pause for a minute. Uh, and talk about this. And by the way, if anybody has any questions or comments, this isn't formal. Stop me at any time with any question. Okay? All right. So here's Arjuna, and he's confused. And he doesn't know what to do, so he turns to Krishna. Uh, uh, one, one of the key words in this verse is, he says, Sisyasteham Shadi. Sisya. This Sisya means student. I am your student. To learn, we have to have two things. We have to have a qualified teacher, and you have to have a qualified student, you see. If you're not a qualified student, no matter how good the teacher is, it's going to be difficult to learn. And if you're a qualified student, if you don't have a qualified teacher, how, do, how is it to learn? So in this modern age, we see so many times, so many people, uh, uh, after my guru came to America in 1965, uh, Many people started to come to this Krishna consciousness. After that, we saw many quote-unquote gurus coming to America, you see. Because India is, uh, and always has been for, this, for the last couple of hundred years, has been a very poor place. You see, money is very hard to find there. It's not so much anymore. It's, you know, the, the economic situation is improving tremendously, which is a little scary in a way. But... Up until then, it was very difficult, very poor. Although there was plenty to eat, not like you know, people say, well, people are starving. Some people may be starving, but not, not, in, you know, not in the droves that we're told. So, uh, so many people who struggled and had a hard time uh, making things in India, when they saw the success that my guru had, they thought, oh, that's for me. And then all of a sudden, we had this influx of so-called gurus coming to America, you see. Now, uh, many of them came here, well, practically all of them came here for the same reason. Does anybody know what that reason is? Uh, huh? I'm probably thinking of people from Tibet. Oh, yeah, there were people from Tibet. You know why they came here? Well, I thought they came here in exile from China's government. Oh, okay, exile. 
the motivating factor was the same factor that mo motivates most people in the material world to do something. Material opinion. Yeah. Their fame, I want some fame. Profit, I want profit, I want money. Boy, is there money in America, you know? You may not realize it because you've been here all your lives, but if you go someplace else and stay a long time, you realize just how rich America is. America is, compared to the rest of the world, it's filthy rich. So, I want some fame, profit, adoration. I want to be adored. I want distinction. You see, those are the four motivating things in the material world. Fame, profit, adoration, and distinction. You see, people generally are motivated to do something for those things. You see. Now some people say, well, maybe I do it out of love. Maybe, but there's other motivations along with that love. Fame, profit, adoration, and distinction. I love you, but I want you to adore me. You see. I want something in return. You know, we'll talk about that later. So, uh, we had this influx of gurus. Many of them were selling mantras. They were selling mantras. They were, you know, at the uh, back in the late '60s, early '70s, the going price for a mantra was about thirty-five dollars, and they would teach you a mantra. What? They still do that. They charge for diksha. Yeah. Really. You know, they charge for initiation, they charge for this, they charge for that. Wow. It's a business. You see. <laughs> now what do they ask people to do? Sit quietly in a, in a place, say this mantra, and you will get, uh, typically they were peddling, you will get oneness with the absolute uh, uh, cosmic consciousness. You see? Doesn't that sound great? What is that? I don't even understand what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that they did, because the people that they were coming to in the very beginning, most of the people were very much into intoxication. Yeah? Well, most of the hippies that were here in those days, they were into smoking marijuana and doing uh, LSD and many other things, eating peyote buttons. So you could talk to those folks that way. You could say something that didn't mean anything, and uh, the folks would be would be thinking that, wow, you must be really smart, because whatever you said just was... <laughs> so that proves to me, that's guaranteed, that you are so smart, you see. Now, they didn't really ask people to give up very much. They just said, give me money, and I'll give you uh, a mantra that will get you uh, shanti, peace, you see. Uh, oneness with the cosmic, uh, universal energy, you see. And the cosmic universal energy is there. There's no doubt it is there. But what's beyond that? What's the source of that? Krishna. Krishna. Now, as we've talked before, if God is unlimited, then God has... Some people say, well, God's just this universal energy. That's true, he is that. But if he's unlimited... God has to be unlimited to be God. That means he's, he can't put any limits on him. He has everything. It means he has form and personality. You see. He thinks. So form, personality means he has desires. You see. Desires that can be fulfilled. When we fulfill his desires, 
we get tremendous joy. You saw that picture of Krishna, you know how he looks? Isn't he beautiful? Mm -hmm. I have a pillow. You do? Mm. Really? That's you sleep on it? It's there flipping. That's amazing. This word Krishna uh, means it's a very flattering word, you see. Now some people say, well, it's just the name of God. God is unlimited, he has unlimited names. We can't limit him with anything. So but he's he, he's especially attracted to that sound vibration vibration. Krishna, you see. And you can say it in so many different ways. This word Krishna means, oh, beautiful, all-attractive one. It's a sweet, mushy thing. You know, it's not like, oh, great Lord, oh, wise one, please be kind to this wretch. You know, it's not like that. If you're going to talk like that to him, you don't need to use the word Krishna, you see. Krishna, Krishna means... Uh, my beautiful, attractive, most beloved one, you see. So we can vibrate that sound. Hey, Hare Krishna, how are you? We can vibrate that sound in so many different ways. You know, you can say it in very beautiful ways. Krishna, Krishna, you see. So just as we were chanting earlier, uh, we can chant this Hare Krishna mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Now that is a prayer to Hara, which is his female energy. Some people say, how do you know God's not a woman? Well, he is a woman. And he is a man. He's unlimited. He has this feminine potency. Her name is Radha. This Hare, when you say Hare Krishna, you're, you, this Hara is appealing to his feminine energy. And you've got to go through her to get to him. You've got to make her happy. You see. So, she is him, but she's not him at the same time. In the spiritual world, things can be a chimkya beta beta tattva, simultaneously one thing and different. Not like in the material world, because you're either this or you're either that. So, uh, when we say Krishna, when we chant Krishna, that, uh, that when we vibrate that sound, he is present. That name is transcendental. All of his names are transcendental, but that one's a special one. He likes it a great deal. He likes it. So, Arjuna wanted to know, my dear Krishna, what do I do? I'm perplexed. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go into war today. All my life I've been a warrior. But now I see so many people that I know on the other side of the battlefield, you see. And Krishna explains to him why this war is necessary. Krishna doesn't want war either. However, for our benefit and for the benefit of the world, this war was necessary to annihilate evil personalities, you see. So Arjuna was intelligent enough to appeal to Krishna instead of speculating. He would appeal to Krishna. They say, you know, I can't figure this out, so I'm depending on you. Please instruct me. So, uh, getting back to the influx of gurus that came to the world, many of them taught uh, so many things and this and that. Uh, <clears throat> to tell you the truth, most of them ended up having some disciples and having sex with young girls. 
you know, gnarly old men coming to America. Claiming their God. Claiming, some of them claimed that they were God. <laughs> so they accumulated massive wealth. There was this Rajneesh. You ever heard of Rajneesh? Rajneesh had 80, uh, uh, what was it, Rolls Royces. What? Yeah. They bought property, they took the money and they... Huh? Ocean. Yeah. It goes on and on, you know. Yeah. So, so many of them. So what were they what were they actually doing for us? They were collecting money. They were becoming famous. They were collecting profit. They were becoming adored by their disciples. And they were becoming distinguished because they had so much money. They had this and they had that. Uh, uh, a pure devotee or a true guru. There, by the way, there's some people talk sometimes of a bogus guru. You're saying, well, those are bogus gurus if they do like that. Well, there's, that's an oxymoron. You cannot be a bogus guru. You're either bogus or you're guru. If you're guru, you can't be bogus. If you're bogus, you can't be guru. <coughs> so how do, I, how do we identify guru? How do we know when someone is, is true? Their activities. Their activities, their 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 faithfulness to uh, Krishna. Right. Their mood is to teach, to give you something, not to take. If you make some offering, they may, they will accept it. But to give. When my guru Shula Prabhupada came here, he was the first one to come. He started this whole thing. Before he came, there were no uh, incense did not exist in America. You see, uh, nobody in the beginning, we used to, well, when we would walk around and uh, dress like we are today, people thought we were from another planet. <laughs> you know, they've never seen anything like us. <laughs> you know, put paint on your head, bang symbols together, and jump around on the street. You guys are crazy. You guys took too much LSD, you know. Last time you went up, you didn't come down, you know. That's what they were thinking. in the sky. Yeah. But unlike the rest of the so-called gurus that came, he was asking us to do something. He wanted us to go back home, back to Godhead, where we all came from. He wanted us to depart from this material world. And he was bold enough to look us in the face and say, you are wrong. He told us you're nothing but cats and dogs, living like cat-like animals. You see, you're living like animals. What's the difference between a human being and an animal? The animals uh, don't know how to behave. Oh, they know how to behave. You have to teach it obedience. Yeah. We have to do that with some humans. Too. <laughs> Sometimes we have to put them behind bars, or you know, when I was a child, my mother had to spank me repeatedly wow. to teach me how to behave. How about the capacity to understand God? Exactly. <clears throat> the humans are the only ones that wonder, who am I? What am I? Is there like, a God? Where is God? Like most people today in this world, uh, like before, before I came to, well. Uh, before I came to God, you know, or knowing of God, I um, I was uh, I would always talk to people and I'm like, well, do you believe in a God? And then they're like, no. And of course, uh, I, would, I would always have that same mindset as well. But then, like, somewhere around around college, around when I was in college, 
I started believing a, a little bit more in God. So, so I was like, I do believe in a God, you know, but I just don't believe in other stuff. What makes you believe in God? Uh, what makes me believe in God? Yeah. Well, basically, is that He is uh, He's there when uh, when you need He's there when you need Him, you know, and uh, and you may not you may not hear Him, you may not see Him, but you know, but you have, but you believe, you know, that He's there, and uh, and that's what got me, you know, through 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 the rest of the day, is that. Yeah. Yeah. If we have faith, some people are confused about this word faith. They think, oh, you know, to find God, you have to, you just have faith. And that's true, but that's only the first step. You see, there's something beyond faith. What is it that, what is it that Krishna wants? Does anybody know what does God want? Once you, once you cast your faith, then what does he want you to do? Know him. Exactly. To be with to be with them. Krishna says, the Supreme Personality of God had said, Now hear, O son of Prita, that's Arjuna, how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. So he doesn't want us to just continue with faith. He wants us to know him, know him in full, you see, free from doubt. So if, we're, if we just have faith, there's probably just a teeny bit of doubt that I could be wrong, you know, but I believe in God. Could you be wrong? I don't know, maybe I could be, you, know, you see. But when you become free from doubt, uh, then you, you get to know him. That's what Krishna wants. He wants you to know him. Now, how can we actually know God? Well, it starts by, we can chant Hare Krishna. We can start to think of him. You see? We can start to perform loving devotional service to him. If we're serious, if we're really sincere, then he will help us. How does he help us? What do you think he'll do? By his mercy, what will he do to help us? He sends someone. Who does he send? Guru. He sends Guru. By the mercy of Krishna, one gets Guru. By the mercy of Guru, one gets Krishna. The Guru is one who can give you Krishna. That is bona fide Guru. Not somebody who just wears a, an orange sheet or prints it <laughs> and collects money, you see. Teaches you parts of mantras. The reason why they taught parts of mantras is because they thought it would be easier. You, uh, the population of America would, uh, would be able to... The Sanskrit's kind of a difficult language, you know. So I, instead of giving you so many mantras, I'm just going to give you pieces of mantras. You see? <clears throat> pieces of mantras may not do much for you, but I don't care. I'm going to get your money. I'll get your faith, and along with that will come uh, money. There was, in 1976... There was this one boy who came to this program I was having, and he said, he said to me, uh, I, I have a guru. I said, oh, really? And he told me his name. I can't remember who it was. And I said, really? Uh, did, he, did he give you a mantra? And he said, oh, yes. 
Ah, my own special mantra. <laughs> Mine. Nobody else has this mantra. And I said, he wanted how much? $35? He said, yeah, $35, yes. And so you have this mantra. And I knew what the mantra was. I don't know. Krishna told me what, you know, I knew what the mantra was. And I said, I think I know your mantra. He said, I don't think you can. You possibly. And I said, your mantra is, I... And he said, yeah, how did you know? I don't know, but I knew. <laughs> now, what is Aing? Does anybody know what that syllable is? Do you know? You've probably heard it many times in Vedic mantras. Sure. Aing means it's an address to the Supreme Lord. It's kind of like saying, hey, Rob. And Rob says, yes. And then I say, Aing again, which is like saying, hey, Rob. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, Rob. Yes. <laughs> you see, Aing is the beginning of mantras. To offer respects, uh, obeisances to the spiritual master, uh, to offer him food or incense, the, the mantra is Aing Gurve Namaha. You see, Aing sets the stage. I'm about to say something. Something wonderful. Gurve <clears throat> to my guru. Namaha. I offer respectful obeisances. You see. Oh. Clean. When you we dress Krishna, it's clean. Krishnaya namaha. You see. Radha Srimram Radhikai namaha. So there's so many. Unlimited. But little pieces of mantras were sold and you know, when people were walking around believing that they had something, um, and they had maybe little pieces, you know. It's just like, uh, there's this movie I saw back in the early 80s, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did you see that? Anybody see that movie? I, yeah, I... I, I <coughs> Harrison Ford, he was yeah. looking for, I don't remember what it was, but he was looking, the Holy, was it the Holy Grail? The Holy Grail. I don't know, I can't remember. He was a... Yeah, Indiana Jones, that's what the character. And anyway, in the, in the movie, they were trying to get this little medallion that had the directions on where to dig to find this treasure. And this one person was trying to steal it. He was a bad guy. And he was in a fire, and he grabbed it, and it burned his hand. And he dropped it, but the, the inscription that was on the medallion was burned into his hand. So they started to look in the, in the place where it said on his burned hand that they should look. But they realized they were digging in the wrong place because on the other side was the, the, the rest of the directions, you see. So you have so many people uh, that are going in so many dire different directions, they only have little pieces, you see. The guru, a true guru, wants, you, wants to give you Krishna. He's a representative of Krishna, and he can't cheat you. Oh, he could, I guess, but he can't because he's working for Krishna. He is united with Krishna. Yoga means union. And so, so did you know that? The Sanskrit word yoga means union, to unite. Doesn't mean to merge, it means to find, you know, something lost that you had once, but you've to regain it, you see. So uh, the guru, by uh, his uh, 
mercy of his guru, he's been given Krishna. So now, by his mercy, he can give you Krishna. And he doesn't want anything except to do that. You see, uh, my guru, Srila Prabhupada, could have had millions of dollars. But he, every, every bit of money that was collected was put right into more temples, printing books. Uh, he died penniless. He had no need for money. Money to him was useless. Why? Because he depended on Krishna. Krishna took care of him, 100%. So he had no... He felt like the... the uh, he used to say, I'm, I'm just an insignificant beggar. But yet he felt like the, the wealthiest person in the world. When we were going to build... The, uh, we needed a new temple in the mid-70s in Detroit. Uh, so uh, Prabhupada came there and we were broke. We had no money. But Srila Prabhupada said, oh, we need to find a new, a new place. So many people are coming, we need a bigger place. And so the devotees thought, well, we have a one-story house, maybe we can get a two-story house. And Prabhupada said, no, let's give Krishna the best. We need the very best. And the devotees said, well, Prabhupada, we don't have any money. And Prabhupada said, Krishna has all the money in the world. Krishna is rich. We're doing this for Krishna. If it's Krishna's desire, he will send what we need. We have to have the desire to please him and to serve him. And so it was difficult for us to understand this, but finally we caught on. Prabhupada didn't see in terms of, I've got to go make some money or make some money. Krishna will supply it. So he went riding around, and the devotees kept saying, well, Prabhupada, how much money can we spend? Prabhupada said, there's no limit. We had nothing. I mean, we, just, we couldn't hardly pay the bills on what we had, you see. So uh, one real estate agent took us, uh, took Shield Prabhupada riding around, and there's this, have you ever heard of the Fisher Company in Detroit? You know, in old cars, um, General Motors cars, you used to, when you opened the door, there was a little plaque on the bottom, uh, Fisher Body. Fisher Body was the company that made all of the cars, all of the bodies for uh, uh, General Motors cars. General Motors made the engines, the motors. Fisher made the, they used to be, uh, back in the 1800s, they made carriages, things like that. Fisher, the Fisher company. And after uh, the uh, automobiles got very, very popular in America, sometime in the 20s, the, the Fisher company was, they were mega billionaires, you know. So they bought this, uh, they had this beautiful mansion built in Detroit right on the river, and it's just like a palace. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just, it cost, uh, uh, in 1922, it cost $4 million, which would be today, you know, would probably be $40 million, you see, to build something like this. But it has big ballrooms, and it's beautiful. It had rooms that were just like a temple room. So anyway, Prophet asked this uh, uh, real estate agent, yes, you show us this property. And the devotees were thinking, oh, this is too much, we can't afford this. So anyway, they went to see the property, and it was perfect. It looked like it was designed to be a temple. It was perfect in every way. Beautiful grounds, you know, it's like something in Beverly Hills, gigantic. And so, uh, what had happened is, up by the mid-70s, the neighborhood around this palace had uh, degraded to the po point that it was hard to sell it. It was beautiful, it was in perfect shape. 
the, the beams upstairs were of carved walnut. I mean, it was just like something from the heavenly planets. And so anyway, um, the Prabhupada started to negotiate with this gentleman. He, Prabhupada told him, you should give it to us. And the guy said, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do that. So Prabhupada said, give us your best price. So they talked back and forth. And the guy said, the best I can do, I mean, and really, uh, uh, I can let it go for a million dollars. The guy needed money. And he knew nobody else is going to buy this place. But I got to have a million dollars. And Prabhupada said, yes, we will take it. Now he had no money. So how's he going to buy it? So that evening, uh, we were having kirtan, having a nice kirtan, and Prabhupada's going to give a little talk like this. And this young hippie boy came in, was sitting over, like about where that pillar is over there, and he heard Prabhupada speak, and he became enlivened by the kirtan, and he's, he just fell in love. He decided, this is, I, I'm, this is what I've always wanted. I've always wa I wanted to be a Hare Krishna. And so he heard the devotees talking about this, temple we're going to try to buy. And he said, oh, can I make a donation? He said, Swami, can I give a donation? Prabhupada says, yes, if you like. So he said, Prabhupada said, uh, how much would you like to give? He said, $500,000. Well, where's this hippie guy going to come up with $500,000? Hare Krishna. Hi. Turned out his name was Albert Ford. Ambarish is his initiated name. He was the heir to the Ford uh, Ford Dynasty. Yes. And he said, I'll give you 500000 So then um, the next day, this hippie girl came in. And she had the same experience that uh, Mr. Ford had. She sat there and got into the kirtan and took prasadam and heard Prabhupada talk. And she said, oh, this is what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be a Hare Krishna. And I didn't know it. And she said, I want to join. And they said, oh, fine. You know, and she said, Can I, I'd like to make a donation. And Prabhupada said, oh, very good. How much? And she said, $500,000? <laughs> she was the granddaughter of Walter Reuter, who owns, at that time, owned almost every newspaper in America. So within 24 hours, Krishna sent $1 million, which wow. paid Walter for the Ruter. temple. Walter Reuter. Uh, Ruder. They owned uh, I don't think that's intact anymore. Oh, uh, the, writer, the, the writer's news? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, oh, yeah. I, maybe I'm mispronouncing yeah, it. Yeah, I know, I know, I know yeah. what you're talking about. So in a very short time, Krishna sent the money. And t today, the D Detroit Temple is this beautiful palatial building that we've had ever since, you see. So, uh, did Prabhupada have faith in Krishna? No, he knew. He knew Krishna would send the money. If this is what you want, so I'm serving Krishna. I want to, my dear Krishna, I want to build you. I want to have you this beautiful palace. And if that's what you want, you'll send me the money because I have nothing. I'm just a humble beggar, you see. Now, for so many years, we saw these things happen, you see. To the point where we got, uh, we got to the point where Prabhupada would say, expect miracles. We learned to expect miracles, and we got to the point where we were no longer surprised when Krishna showed his hand, you see. So, this is a guru. A guru can give you Krishna. 
What does he have to have before he can give you Krishna? He has to have Krishna. He's going to have it to give it to you. You see. Now, how do you get Krishna? When you perform loving devotional service to Krishna. It says in the Vedas, it is it's almost as if, it, it, is, it is as if you had bought him. You had purchased him. You see. Krishna is the supreme, he's also the supreme lover. He's also the supreme romantic. He's the supreme friend. You see. And he is uh, amazed by how much we can love him. You see. He's attracted to uh, being loved. Because that's what he does. He loves. You see. So he loves to be loved. He loves the loving exchange. So when we learn to love Krishna, uh, in Sanskrit that word is prema. Uh, Krishna prema. Prema means the highest love. It's love that doesn't have any strings attached. You see? It's not that I, I, it's not that I love you because of some gratification. You know? I love you because I love you. That's it. Unconditional love. No matter what you do to me, I still love you. You see? Because you are uh, the object of my love. You're the, the, you're the most lovable object. My dear Lord Krishna. And then when we find out, Krishna feels that way about us. He loves us. With no strings attached. You see. Even though we have left and come to this material world to look for something other than Him. He's not upset. He's not envious. He's not jealous. You see. Some, some people say, well, God, God is a jealous God. If God is well balanced which God really should be, or else he's pretty dangerous. Then how can he be jealous? Who does he have to be jealous of? He's the most beautiful, the most powerful, the richest, the most famous, strongest, you know. I mean, there's nobody even anywhere close, so how could he be uh, jealous unless he was a little... You know? and that's kind of scary to think about. An unbalanced God. Yeah. 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 They either do that or blame somebody else. You see. Well, it wasn't my fault, you know. I, I did that because, because uh, of him, you know. Because of what he was doing made me have to do that bad thing. So it's not me. I'm deflecting it to him or to her. You see, there's uh, when people uh, are accused of doing something bad, the the normal reaction is what I refer to as the three D's: deny it, defend it and or deflect it, you know? You know, you did something that was just really terrible. No, I didn't. Well, that was really rotten. Well, I mean, I, have, I, bet I had a rotten day. See, so I denied it, then I defended it. Have you ever seen people do that? They'll deny it and then defend it. <coughs> Which is like saying, I lied to you. You know, I was having a terrible day. And then deflect it. I mean, my boss was all over me. 
gosh, he was giving me a hard time. So see what I did? I stepped right out of the spotlight. Spotlight was put on me. I did something wrong. No, I didn't. Oh, it was his fault. You know, don't blame me. You see? Instead of saying, you know, you're right. You're exactly right. You know, can you forgive me? You know, is there any way you can forgive me? Own it. In this material world, we're, we're afraid to do that because there are many people who are rascals. They're rascals who take advantage of it. So the devotee of Krishna doesn't think like that. Even though this world is full of rascals, I have Krishna to protect me. You see, Krishna will protect me from any rascals. So I can love without expecting anything. I can, I can be that person that Krishna is asking everybody to be. Sometimes people say, well, what's the most important thing about being a devotee? Be a devotee. First and foremost, be it. Be the kind of person that would make Krishna happy. You see? Not in your mind or in your words, but in your soul. It'll show in your actions. Therefore, all of your thoughts your words and your actions will be something that will please Krishna. And that means pleasing all your fellow living entities. Not just the human beings. All living entities. Now when we love all living entities, that includes all the human beings, Krishna is very pleased. And when Krishna is pleased, we're pleased. We feel great gratification. Because the, uh, the misunderstanding in the material world is that I'm here to enjoy. You know, isn't it? We want to enjoy. Don't we? Let's go have a good time. Let's get together and party, you know. I want something that I can enjoy. It'd be nice if we could enjoy together, right? Well, in the material world, things are typically upside down and backwards uh, from the truth. We are not enjoyers. That sounds hard to believe. Spiritual life means we have to understand something a little different than what we've, the current that's been carrying us through this material world. We are not enjoyers. We are the enjoyed. We're not here to enjoy, we're here to be enjoyed. That's how we feel that enjoyment. When I am enjoyed, I feel great enjoyment. If I want supreme, uh, the supreme great feeling, then I need to do something so that God will enjoy me. When Krishna enjoys what I'm doing, I feel great bliss. And it's like that. You ever notice how it's nice to do something good for someone else? You know? If you're going to have a dinner party and you invite, invite your special friends over, and uh, you think, wow, I'm going to cook my favorite dish for them. Something really special. You know, get some fresh veggies out of the garden. This is going to be special, you know. I'm going to do something really great. So you get ready to go, and then you get a phone call. Oh, hey, I'm sorry, but we can't come. We're going to have to do this another night. So what are you going to do? You're going to go ahead and cook this opulent feast that you were thinking about and enjoy it? 
<laughs> Most people are going to just make a sandwich or something, you know? Yeah. Because this, there's no real enjoyment. If you're not going to come and enjoy it, then I, I don't want to make I'll make it special for you. If it's just for me, I don't know, you know. Little of this, little of that. But if you're going to come, wow, I want to really make it special. It's in our nature, it's in our soul to be enjoyed. You see? So, so much of that's not present in our world now because everyone's trying to be the enjoyer and therefore everybody's button heads. But if everyone were trying to be the enjoyed, now we have a harmonious society. You see? We wouldn't have to worry about anybody holding the door open for you. You know? Politeness, care. People, if people care for one another. You see? This is Krishna consciousness. Conscious that I am part and parcel of Krishna and so are all the other living entities. So my duty is to please Krishna. And one way to do that is to serve the, the other living entities. Any questions or comments? You'd go ahead and cook the feast, huh? <laughs> Sometimes I would too, probably. Any questions? Um, how did you come into being a, a, a devotee? Uh, I, I was at a point in my life many, many years ago in the early 70s where, um, first of all, I, I, was grown, I, I grew up very poor. Very, very, very poor. My, my family was so poor that we couldn't even pay attention. <laughs> so no, we were very, very poor. So uh, bad, bad situation living in a bad neighborhood in the south side of Chicago. Rotten. I'll save you the, the gory yeah. details, but stinky, rotten. Mm -hmm. So somehow or other, uh, my karma was that I was to be successful if I put forth the the, um, yeah. the effort. I would get return. So I became successful. I bought my first house when I was 21 years old. And the only reason I couldn't buy it before then is because I wasn't old enough to own property. I was a minor. You see. So I couldn't, I, well, I had to be 21 years old to do the deal. So, but I became successful in sales. And, uh, and I had lots of everything. You know, lots of toys, expensive toys. Jeeps, motorcycles, cars, stuff like that. It seemed like everything I did was like uh, touching, uh, it turned into gold. Everything I touched turned into gold. And so in a, in a very young age, I was a member of a big country club, you know, hobnobbing with wealthy people, and was feeling pretty good about myself. And then one day, I was uh, out in the backyard, and I was practicing my golf swing, you know, I was kind of, I was like a successful hippie. I was a hippie with money, you might say. So, and I had, I had lots of everything. Sex, drugs, rock and rolls, I had, I, you know, more than I needed of everything. Mm -hmm. So, I was feeling really good about myself, practicing my golf swing, and I all of a sudden stopped and I thought, okay, what next? Now what? This has really been a good ride so far, boy. Where's this going? And then it was kind of like, 
there was this inner realization, you could call it a voice or whatever, I don't know what it was, that told me one word, what, what, now what? What can I look forward to? And the word was more. And I thought, more? You know, just more of this? So, instead of, instead of two Harley Davidsons, I'll have three? And that's going to make me happier? If I add zeros on the end of my bank account, that's going to make me happier? I don't think so. There's got to be something other than that, you see. And I just felt like, you know, I was, I believed in God, but I didn't. And I tried all those other different philosophies. Some of the Indian gurus that came kind of influenced me a little bit. And I realized them as cheaters. Krishna gave me some understanding. You know, I could figure things out. And I could see nothing but cheaters, you see. So I said, uh, I prayed to God. I said, if you're there, please show yourself. If there's a philosophy that I can find you, let me, let me know it. Because right now, the rest of my life is not looking that great. As far as just more. I wanted to get, I don't know what I'm looking for, but just more money and more this and that, that really doesn't do it for me. So very shortly after that, I bumped into a friend of mine who had met the devotees and had bought a Bhagavad Gita. And he started telling me a little bit about the philosophy. So I, I got the Gita from him and I read the Bhagavad Gita. And then I went to look, search out the devotees and heard more of the philosophy. And I became convinced, this is what I want. I want Krishna. And then I met my, my, my guru, and uh, he accepted me as his disciple. And said, now go out and spread this. He said. So, um, and today I have nothing, but I feel wealthier than I ever was in my life. He said. So, uh, it was just Krishna's causeless mercy. I didn't do anything in particular. I can't say, well, I was such a nice guy. I was not a nice guy. You know I wasn't a nice guy. You know? I was so far from a nice guy. You know, I knew how to, how to grab money. I knew how to grab profit. So, so I, had, uh, I had done nothing to deserve it. It was by Krishna's causeless mercy that somehow or other I found his devotee. And through him I found uh, Guru. And then life became just like the lights came on. You can see through it. It's really going on. Does that make any sense? That's kind of like a... Yes? I thought it was amazing. It was an amazing thing. Because I wasn't a good person. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood uh, you know, of organized crime. You know, an Italian neighborhood. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. You know? So, um, and my mind worked pretty much like that of a criminal. 
I want to grab all, I want all of my share and some of yours too. But for me to keep on getting your share and your share, I have to do it in such a way that nobody will discover me. So I have to be this way, I have to be that way. Duplicious, diplom diplomatic, grab as much gusto as I can. And deal with anybody who gets in my way. You see. Which is very much like most of us. Oh, um, a couple times to visit the temple there. It's an interesting place. It's crooked from the mayor down. Always has been. Uh, yeah. Always has been. I mean, ever uh, since Al Capone. Yeah, Al Capone made a proposition. I'm like, hey, man, you want money? I lived in. I lived in his neighborhood, Chicago Heights. Al Capone's own neighborhood. It's one of the places. We also lived in Cicero too. It's a great place to go. It's an interesting place. We have a beautiful temple. Beautiful temple. Wonderful. So, what time do we need to wrap it up? Mm. How are you doing today? Good. Sorry I didn't say hi to you when you came out. Sorry I didn't say hi. Boy, that fruit that you brought, oh, it was good. It was just, yeah, it was just, it reminds me how Krishna takes care of me. I needed something. It was exactly what I needed. You know, help my blood sugar. I mean, it was just perfect. It was, it was delightful. Krishna will, if we allow ourselves to start out with faith, He will do things that will get us to the point where we know Him. We will know what to expect from Him. And He'll always take care of us. Always. If I, if I told anybody this story, I was in Tennessee, I was traveling a couple of months ago, and uh, my, the transmission went out on my van, I have this old van, transmission went out, and I have, practically speaking, no money, and it was going to be $2,100 to have to rebuild the whole transmission. So I had some, a, a friend that said, well, you know, I can lend you some money. But, you know, I really need it back. And I felt like, well, you know the chance you're taking because I don't have any problem. I'm just like... But, you know, I said, Krishna will take care. And he says, I, when you say that, I believe you. I've known him for since the mid-70s. So he gave me the money to pay for the, the transmission. And so I needed $2,100. So that evening after I got my car back, I went into this... I was, this Indian gentleman was letting me stay in this motel. So I was in my motel room, and outside I heard this incredible storm. It was horrible sounding. I'd never heard it sound like a freight train was like right outside. And I thought, what is that? Could that be a tornado? What's going on? So I opened the door, and it was hailing like I'd never seen it before. Tremendous hail. It was so much hail, the parking lot was, was white. The blacktop was white. It was like this thick, and it was just like coming like crazy, hammering all the cars in the parking lot. 
of which one was mine. <laughs> and I have insurance. So then, come to find out, it's about $3,100 in damage due for my insurance company. Take away my $1,000 deductible. What did Krishna send? $2,100. Just like that. Now, did I have faith that he would? No, I knew he would. And if he didn't, then he'd have a reason. You want me to stay here? Then I'll stay here. The devotee tries to be like, oh, if there's a leaf in a, of a tree and it falls into a river. You know, in India there's this river, the Ganges River. And the Ganges is very wide, very wide. And flowing like everything, the current is tremendous. You can't swim across the Ganges, it'll take you away. So if a leaf falls into the Ganges River, it's swept away by the current. So the devotee of Krishna is like that. We want to be swept away by Krishna's current. Take it away. Alright, so let's wrap it up. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Good to see Thank everybody. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.